Hi, I'm Matt Waller, Dean of the Sam M. Walton College of Business. Welcome to Be Epic, the podcast where we explore excellence, professionalism, innovation, and collegiality, and what those values mean in business, education, and your life today. I have with me today John Foley, who is a former lead solo pilot for the Blue Angels, a best-selling author of a book that I really like, Fearless Success. He's a best-selling author, of course. His expertise is really in high-performance teams. And he has a system uh, called the Fearless Success System, and it's transformed thousands of organizations globally. Uh, So I'm very fortunate to be able to have him here. John, I'm honored that you would take time to uh, visit with me. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Matt. And uh, I'm glad to be here. Now, those four words, glad to be here, and you'll see this throughout our conversation, meant something very special to me when I was a Blue Angel. They actually mean more to me today, and they actually are the heart and soul or the secret sauce of this fearless success system. Well, John, you know, just looking at your your background, you went to the U.S. Naval Academy and graduated in 82. That means you're probably four years older than me. I don't know for sure, (laughs) but uh, I can tell by looking at you, you're in a lot better shape than I am. Well, we got the same head. I can tell that. That's for (laughs) sure. Uh, So I do. I want to talk a little bit about your routine at some point in the yes. discussion, because you clearly are well, you're fit, uh, which is something I'm trying to do more of. Uh, I think it's a part of leadership, being healthy. I had a big setback. I used to be a big runner and and, and uh, into lifting weights. I actually, I power lifted in high school, and then I stopped oh. until uh, I turned about 49. And then I uh, started doing powerlifting. I won the Oklahoma State Powerlifting Championship. That's squat bench press and deadlift. Wow. And I was 52 for the, you know, 15 old, older range. But then I got sick with cancer for a year mm-hmm. and I lost all my strength and endurance and I'm just now building it back. But right. um, I've never looked as, as good as you do. But uh, so I do want to talk about it because I think, I think it's something that students sometimes overlook as an important part of being a good leader. Yes. And so I want to get to that, but you went to the Naval Academy. Yep. And you also uh, got a master's degree, a couple of master's degrees from Stanford and also from the Naval War College. But you were a commander in the Navy. So, John, uh, you know, your book, uh, Fearless Fearless Success, is is really interesting. But I'd like you to, and I, I do want to talk about it because there's something in the book in particular. Um, I'm wanting to talk about, and that is your diamond performance framework. But before we do, would you spend just a few moments telling us about who is John? Well, great, great question. Um, I was actually born in Germany. My dad was an army officer, and uh, I loved my dad. Uh, he was like my hero. You know, I, I looked up to him in every way I could. Uh, being an army family, we moved around a lot. I think I lived in over 12 places by the time I graduated high school, uh, all over the United States, a lot on the East Coast. I remember one day my dad took me to an air show. I happened to be 12 years old. And at the time, I just wanted to grow up to be an engineer because he was an engineer and an army officer. 
And then I'm, I'll never forget this day, Matt. I'm looking up in the sky. It's in Newport, Rhode Island. And these six magnificent blue jets go overhead. And you could feel it. I mean, you could the smoke oil, the, the visceral sound. I could feel it in my heart. And I turned to my dad that day and I said, Dad, I'm going to do that. But I, I bring that up because I think it's so important to, uh, to live our dreams, you know, to go for uh, whatever we choose in life. And, uh, you know, it took uh, 18 years later, it took a whole lot of uh, obstacles. I got rejected by the academy three times. It took me three times to get in there. Uh, they said I was not physically qualified, which is kind of funny because, you know, as you said, we're in pretty good physical shape, both, both of us right now. You know, I mean, it's kind of a metaphor in life. You, you, know, the, you know, you can't control everything, but what you can control is your reaction. And my reaction was not just, it was disappointment at first. And I was like, okay, we'll come up with plan B and come up with plan C and, and get the waivers and do whatever it takes to make things work. Basically, uh, worked my way up, uh, flew, flew jets off of aircraft carriers. That was my dream. Uh, played football at Annapolis. I, I, I like to play football. I was a defensive back and got my mechanical engineering degree which by the way, I've never used, but, uh, but at least I got it. <laughs> uh, and then uh, created that career. Uh, one of the things I, I got a rare chance. Uh, you ever see the movie Top Gun? Did you ever see yeah, that? Yeah. yeah, I got to do some of the real flying in the movie. Yeah. Did you really? Yeah. And that's just being in the right place at the right time. I just happened to be flying jets off the carrier enterprise. Uh, they came out and started filming the movie. And and so a lot of those scenes are myself and my friends, my buddies, you know, just doing a, uh, doing everything our, our normal life. But after that, my dream was always the Blue Angels. And I happened to get that opportunity. And that planted a seed in my heart and my head on high performance. You know, not only how do you re reach a level of high performance, but how do you sustain it? And how do you sustain it under change? Uh, like we're all going through today, right? But I realized that I wanted to have more than one career in life. And I went to, uh, I needed the bridge and the bridge was business school. So how did your experience in being a lead solo pilot for the Blue Angels yeah. influence business, entrepreneurship, and leadership? When I got selected for the Blue Angels, the, the very first thing I remember is I walked into that room, briefing room for the first time, uh, not as an applicant, but as a, as a selectee, uh, they call it, they call us a newbie, kind of like a rookie. Right. And, uh, we went through this process that was, that's called the debrief. And I'm sure you're familiar with that concept, but what I just witnessed blew me away. I mean, it was people I looked up to the best of the best, and they were demonstrating some of the qualities that I always looked up to such as humility, openness, honesty, accountability, laying it on the table. It was the most open and, and committed organization to continuous improvement. Every day we tried to get better and we had a process to get there. And that was with new people under changing conditions. And the other thing I learned from the blues that is so relevant in the business world is having a center point, which is larger than self, you know, a purpose. On the blues, we actually called ourselves ambassadors, ambassadors of goodwill. We always realized that the most important thing we could do was be a good example and inspire someone else. So, John, you, of course, um, really started getting into business for yourself almost 20 years ago. Yes. And since then, you've, you've done lots of public speaking, lots of consulting and influencing. What led you to want to write your book? And then I want to ask you some questions about that. But what what led up to you deciding to write a book? Well, exactly. I um 
writing was one of the hardest things for me, and, and it still is. Uh, I needed some support, but speaking wasn't. I was, I'm more of a verbal communicator. Uh, but what happened for me was back in, in 97, so I had, I had flown at the Blue Angels, did some leadership roles in the Navy, and I got out. I needed the bridge, uh, and I ended up, uh, fortunately, got selected, went to Stanford Business School. And I had just gotten out of the Naval War College, which is a wonderful experience about strategy and policy, right? Uh, and that year, I was a Sloan Fellow, so it was a one-year program, not a two. Um, and we were we were the older, the older people, right? I mean, mid-career, um, and... I learned so much from not only my professors, but from my classmates. And it was a whole new vocabulary, a whole new world out there. So I'm getting out and I'm, I think I'm gonna go work for a very good friend of mine, a guy named David Price, who ran American Golf Corporation. And then, you know, it tanked, they had a problem. So, so I'm sitting there and I'm talking to a buddy of mine and uh, he says, hey, how's that job going? I said, well, it just blew up, I, I don't have one. And he says, oh, that's interesting. And he, you know, we, we chatted. Then he called me back five minutes later and he says, hey, I got a, I got a crazy idea. Why don't you come work for us? And I, this is what I said, Matt, because I look at Philippe and, and Philippe was a venture capitalist. And, uh, and I said, Philippe, wait a minute. I know nothing about venture capital. I know nothing about technology. And they were an early stage VC firm in, in San Francisco, in Silicon Valley. And he goes, well, you know what, John, you know how to win. We can teach you all that other stuff. And I had the greatest experience. They brought me into the partnership. You know, this is like 99, 2000. Remember what was going on in Silicon Valley at that time? Tremendous change, right? And I'm sitting there and I'm learning and I'm soaking it all in. And then the bubble hits, uh, the first internet bubble, right? And it burst. And I remember a thought hitting my head. My question wasn't how come the bubble burst. My question was this. How come some people outperform others and some don't? How come some teams consistently outperform? How come some organizations, no matter what the market, no matter what the economy, outperform and some don't? And, and that's that question been driving me for the last two decades. And I, what I did is I, I basically went back and reversed engineered what worked on the Blue Angels. Because here's an organization that is in constant change, Half our leadership is new every year, the pilots. A third of my support team is new every year. The reason that is, is, is we rotate. The Blue Angels are part of the Navy. You constantly are getting new people in and rotating, right? I looked at that and I said, well, wait a minute. What would transfer? And over the last uh, two decades, I've had a chance to now have a thousand case studies of organizations. Uh, and uh, we've really started to refine it. And that's what actually comes into what we call the Diamond Formage Framework. So the diamond uh, performance framework, it starts with belief, yeah, and then it goes to brief, and then it goes to trust, and then it goes to debrief. Would you mind just spending a few minutes, John, talking about that framework? Yeah, yeah. Let's unpack that real quick, because um, those words may not mean too much to everybody right now, but here's where it comes from. I remember uh, sitting in my strategic management class, and the professor was talking about, you know, the theory, and I think we're all aware of this, vision, plan, execute, feedback loop. Okay, very simple, right? What's the vision? Come up with a plan, execute on the plan. Hopefully you have a feedback loop. And I said, okay, I get that. That works. I get that. Maybe the, the 1% really understand that and we call it operational excellence, right? And I thought, but at the Blue Angels, we actually go to a whole new level. There's something else that takes it well beyond that. And you know, the Blue Angels to just, we fly at the, at the one-tenth of one-tenth of 1% of all the pilots in the world. So something is happening 
that elite level. Um, and I, I said, well, well, what's the difference? And so that's what you now have as what I call the Diamond Performance Framework, but it's really more of just a fearless success system. But here's what it is. It's not about vision. What it's about is commitment and buy-in to a vision. We need commitment and buy-in to a vision. So that is beliefs. I like to break them down into two systems. When I do workshops with CEOs and leadership teams, and we just did one with Papa John. And we were breaking down what's the limiting beliefs and what's the liberating beliefs. So to me, limiting that's what causes stuckness. By the way, they're fear-based. You watch. It's usually fear. And there's a lot of fear going on in the world today, right? But I want to focus on liberating beliefs. What's our potential? What's our opportunity? So for me, the starting point is not the how. The starting point is the beliefs. How do we get people aligned and then ready for those beliefs? So that's just the first facet. And, and I think for those of you listening to this, it's one of the reasons why understanding this is important because John was talking about alignment and that is learning to get people aligned is one of the most important functions of what a leader does. So this is an important point. So uh, yep. sorry to interrupt, John. I just thought I'd interrupt. No, no, no. I got a tool on the alignment piece. Let me give you a tool real quick. All right. For, for the people listening. First off, two major points you made, Matt, that I think are critical. And that is, you know, what we take in, what we learn. It's why it's so precious right now for the students who are in business school. I mean, I learned so much from not just the professors, but my classmates. Right. And, and the people that were, were brought in, you know, to talk about real business leaders on, on how things are happening. Right. And the case studies. And uh, you're in a you're in an incredible time in your life to absorb this and take that in. And it is important to, you know, be aware of who you surround yourself with. And I think what you just said earlier is the first three things I teach any team, any leadership is connect, align, commit. OK, first, we have to connect as human beings, and that's one of the things we're doing right here, then we have to get that alignment in as a business and as an organization, and then you need those commitments. And those commitments is how you execute with high trust. So when you talk about uh, connecting, yeah, what do you think are the keys to that? Well, it's, it's being vulnerable. There's strength and vulnerability. Uh, too many times we we hear, oh, I have to know everything or I have to be the leader or I have to, you know, no. I mean, you have to try, you know. Uh, uh, I think there's four C's to trust. So we need to build trust. Here's the four C's. Competency, commitment, character. But the fourth one is the most important, at least on a high-performance team, and that is consistency, okay? I need to know you're going to show up with your A game every single day. If you're going to fly 36 inches off my wingtip. Now, if you want to go and, and not be at that level, fine, right? But if you want to be part of, of, of my team or, or a high performance team, you've got to bring your A game. And the way you do that is you're constantly learning. We're in a growth mindset. Uh, we're constantly teaching each other. And that's why you have to have a process that is what I call the briefs and debriefs, where we plan it's not about planning. We prepare, we focus, we align, and then we debrief, we learn. And we do this every single day. And that iteration allows the belief levels then to continually grow. It's a spiraling up process. You know, when you're flying that close together, you need to know that people are showing up with the A game yeah. every time. <laughs> but if you're leading an initiative that has high visibility, high potential for a huge ROI, but also a high in investment or cost, 
it's going to be hard to trust people that you don't think are going to show up. Right. You know, here's the thing you really want to know, Matt, is when things are smooth, okay, you know, I, 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 that's fine. Here's what I want to know. I want to know how someone's going to react under turbulence. I want to know how they're going to react in the change. See, and that's what we're all going through right now. This is why it's a, it's the metaphor, COVID, social unrest, all the things we're seeing, right, are absolutely incredible because I want to know how are you going to react when the pressure's on? And one thing we learned was we're going to go through it together. You know, when you're flying in formation, and I don't care if that's in airplanes or if that's in a, an organization, we're going to go through it together, all right? And what I've also learned is when turbulence hits, you actually need to take a little bit of a pause. You need to respond and not react. And the difference there is, let's say in a jet, you know, everyone's flown commercial, right? And so if you're in an airplane and you hit turbulence and the jet were to drop, what's the natural reaction of the pilot is you would pull back on the stick. If it would raise, you'd push forward. And we realized that when we're in tight formation, you can't do that at the same speed. Uh, because you'll get out of sync and you'll actually you'll actually hurt somebody. So you actually have to dampen your response. We fly through the turbulence together and then we bring it back in. And I think that's a that's a good metaphor for what we're all going through today. So something you mentioned that I had not thought of before. And I've been studying leadership for well, I first the first time I read a book on leadership was 1982. My father, when I started my undergraduate program, gave me a book called In Search of Excellence. Oh, yes. And I read it and I loved it. And I've always been interested ever since and done lots of reading. But I just learned something. I've learned several things from your book. Um, but from our conversation, I because when I think about, you know, setting direction and providing motivation, I know lots of tools for that. Mm -hmm. But for gaining alignment... I feel like that's a hard one. You just connected something in my mind I hadn't thought of. I, I know it's in your book, and that is using your values mm -hmm. as the center point. So for the Walton College, for example, our values are represented by the acronym EPIC. Oh, I love it. Excellence, professionalism, innovation, and collegiality. Within those, the way that we define those four, it includes things like an inclusive environment yep. and uh, business ethics and these kinds of things. But we narrowed it down to four. When we did that back in the nineties, Epic had the meaning of like it does now, technically, uh, you know, of a long heroic story. Oh yes. Or a poem, right? I love but, that. So we created that back then, but today it means something, another meaning. Yes. And the, in the colloquial sense, it means great. Yes. And so, but I never thought I could use my values as the center point. Yeah. I'll walk you through this model in a way that I think will make real, real sense, right? So okay. it's the combination of the good to great and then search of excellence, right? When you pull these things together, here's what I think you, you have. So I agree with you that a leader's job is to paint that picture, right? That inspiration, that motivation. And, and that's the same thing I do with every organization I go into. You first got to paint the picture of what does it look like? What does excellence look like, right? Where are we? But let's really define clearly where we want to go. Then I believe this closes the gap. 
And that's a pretty bold statement because there's a lot of good frameworks out there, right? But it's not about the framework as much as it's about what is what I would call the excellence tied in with appreciation and gratitude, the glad to be here. We got to get that in here, right? You paint the beliefs first, and we talked about that, all right? Then you have the process excellence. Me, the brief is about process. That's about focus. That's about preparation. I actually take you inside our briefing room and you get to see how we get aligned and focused and ready to go. All right. Then what you have to do is you actually have to go out there and execute. To me, that's the execution piece. That's and we do that what I call high trust contracts, which to me are the verbal and nonverbal agreements that are in within organizations and you make them verbal and you get people to say, I'll bring my A game, you can count on me. The key is this debrief though. We haven't got to the debrief yet. The debrief is the, is the differentiator. Okay, this is the weakest point I've seen in all organizations and it's actually your biggest leverage point. Okay, and that is, can we learn? It's the growth mindset, right? So what I actually show is we go inside our debriefing room not the briefing room. Everyone does briefing really, really well. Okay. That's supply chains. That's preparation. That's plans, all that stuff, right? The key is, okay, what did I learn? So you get inside this room and here's the five dynamics that I've seen are critical. You get these five dynamics in any organization, it will change the organization. The first is you need a safe environment. I don't just mean physical safety, which we're doing now. It's psychological safety. Okay. So, and that comes though from respect. Number two is you check your ego at the door. I need humility. I'm looking for humility. You know, are you good? Of course. We wouldn't have hired you, right? This is about the we, not the I. Third one is about openness and honesty. And you can say we want openness and honesty, but we got to show it. And the way we show it is you lay it on the table. The fourth one is the classic word accountability. But I think there's actually a more powerful way to achieve accountability. And I call it the ownership mentality. If you want personal responsibility, because then accountability becomes a given. And then the last and the fifth dynamic is the glad to be here. And this changes everything because now you get appreciation and gratitude and gratefulness, which actually we know now through science is actually changing our brains. And that's what pulls everything together. And then you get the spiraling up process. So I just walked you through, I guarantee you, that will change any organization for the better. Wow. Well, John, uh, if you had... A piece of advice for our students in particular, um, what would you say to them? Well, first off, I'd say glad to be here. Uh, Make that part of your DNA. Uh, Every morning I wake up, I have a meditation practice. I have a physical focusing practice. I have a gratefulness practice. I have a, a, a SEAL training practice. But the key is I can do them quickly. But it's living in the moment and being appreciative. That's the number one thing. I mean, we all can appreciate something, especially the students. I mean, that was the funnest part of my life. I mean, if I'm having fun now, of course, but I mean, (laughs) come on, man, you're in school, you're learning, you're surrounded by great people and friends. Appreciate the moment is the first thing I would say. And the second thing I'd say is go for it. You know, uh, it's one thing to appreciate it. Now you got to go for your dreams. Uh, I've had such uh, incredible challenges in life and I love them. I love them. Because uh, it's where you find, you know, what you're meant to do. And the way I do that is always with giving back first. I believe if you got to give to receive. And uh, if you're in the mindset of how can I help somebody, that's will come back to you. That's what I would say. John, how do you exercise? What do you do to exercise? And how, tell me a little bit more about your routine. 
Well, I think, you know, my routine starts with the moment my eyes open, I wake up happy. I've trained my brain to wake up happy. And I trained it through a gratitude practice, which is very simple. Everyone can do it right now. The moment I wake up, I just say, what am I grateful for in the present moment? For today, you know, I woke up, I'm back in Sun Valley. That's where I live. I was on the road for six days prior to this. And I said, wow, I'm just home. I feel healthy. I'm strong. It's just whatever it is, right? But then this is, the, this is very key. Go back 24 hours. And I say, what happened yesterday? that I have something to be grateful for. And I think of other peoples and other faces. And I was just with the leadership team, Papa John's, and we had such an incredible experience. And, and my mm -hmm. wife is uh, doing a paddleboard. She's out in Lake Powell. And so I, I just, I reflect back and I remember people's faces and I just, I smile. And then here's the key. I go forward in my day and I say, what do I need to do today? And who can I help? And you came to mind right away. You were the first thought that hit me. I said, I'm gonna get the rare privilege to, uh, to, to talk to Matt and, and, and hopefully this message will get out to a lot of people. And I'm just grateful for that opportunity. So I've trained that into my brain uh, where I do that every single day. Then I actually, I hit the floor and I, I always hit it with my left foot first. And that's a trigger to me to tell me that today's not normal. Today's magical. I always try to tell myself that today is magical. Um, then I hit, I go right outside and uh, it was below freezing today here in Sun Valley. And I go outside and I do a, a physical routine. Uh, it is a combination of stretching, uh, bowing. It adds in some seal training, but I do a very quick, it only takes me seven minutes, a uh, strengthening routine where I, I, I strengthen my body, but I also uh, am, am all about flexibility. Uh, then I, I come in and I go through a meditation and a focusing routine. So I do that every single morning. And I've learned that I can, can get this thing done in 15 minutes, okay? Uh, but if I have more time, it's better, right? And to me, I start my day getting myself into a state of focus and preparation, and then the rest of the day goes great. Yeah. That is, I think that's great advice. Well, John, I've really enjoyed visiting with you. And thank you. Uh, again, thank you for your book. Um, hopefully we can continue this conversation later. I would love to. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Be Epic podcast from the Walton College. You can find us on Google, SoundCloud, iTunes, or look for us wherever you find your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and rate us. You can find current and past episodes by searching Be Epic Podcast, one word, that's B-E-E-P-I-C podcast, and now Be Epic.